following message is from New Life Gillette series, Phone Zombies. This week, Pastor Mike presents the message. Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Let me say welcome to those of you who are watching online, to our friends over at the prison and at the jail, and to those of you who are here in the room. Today, we are finishing a series we have called Phone zombies, and we're talking about not so much that phones are bad, but that we need to set up some boundaries about how we use them, because we believe God has given us instructions and boundaries and guidelines that we can adopt into our life and help us to live better lives. And many of those boundaries apply to the way that we use our phones. So in this series, we've been adopting those habits. My whole life, I've read this passage uh, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And most of my life, I read this passage about a light burden that God gives us. And then I would read other passages where we're supposed to meditate on Scripture, and we're supposed to pray, and we're supposed to do all these spiritual disciplines. So I would, I would try to add these spiritual disciplines into my life, thinking that these spiritual disciplines were going to be the way that I got that rest that he promised to us over and over and over again. Yet so many times in my life, as I made this effort to adopt spiritual disciplines in my life and do thing, do good things and stop doing bad things, it just felt like the load oftentimes was getting heavier and heavier, like it was getting harder and harder, not easier and easier. Until this past year, I uh, started a journey of, I experienced something new with the spiritual disciplines that I had not experienced much before. The journey actually started with a book that I read. Um, Some of you may have read it. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. It's an awesome book that I read that really um, helped me in this journey of what does it look like for the spiritual disciplines not to be a burden on us, but a light burden on us, but to make make our lives better and make us better at life. And as I was reading the, through this and, and going through these disciplines in a new way, I experienced them in a new way. And I've been reflecting on why that is this time. And I think I've come up with a few reasons why, for me, this time it was different. This time, the adoption of these spiritual disciplines, the removal of some bad habits was different. The first reason I think it was is because I had reached a point of total desperation. After the building project where we ran out of money and we ran out of time and we got to lay off subcontractors and we got to do all these things, I had just burdened myself down with so much that had to happen that I wasn't really having a crisis of faith in God, but I was having crisis in God, in my faith in God's ability to make my burden light. It just seemed like I was doomed to this endless suffering under trying to do what God had called me to do. So I had reached a point of desperation. I had also reached a point of surrender. I had become 
in my life, pretty confident in my way of doing life. And I had heard warnings about workaholism, and I'd heard worries, uh, warnings about how we do media in our lives and the different things that we do in our schedule. And I kind of just felt like I was above all that. Okay, maybe some people need that. I'm bigger than that, you know? That's what we start thinking. Like, good advice for everyone else doesn't apply to me until it obviously did. Until my way obviously wasn't working. And so I had reached a point a couple months ago, well, more than that now, that I was just, it was time to surrender and admit that I didn't have all the answers. Another thing that was different this time for me was I, I now have a responsibility to my family that I hadn't had in the past when I had had similar times. Now I know that my children need me, my sons need me in a way that nobody else really has needed me in the past. They need my time, they need my focus. So I decided I need some different habits. And these unhealthy habits that I recognized in my life, a lot of them just surrounded around this thing, that I had just adopted the use of this thing in some very unhealthy ways. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to set up some boundaries and I'm going to say from 5 to 8 p.m. every night, no tech, just focus on family. So I, I set up some boundaries when I realized that more technology is not always better. Oh, I'll be honest, it's not easy for me to, rec- to say. I, I've spent most of my life, like, I'm kind of a progressive person, not progressive like politically, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, Adding new technology usually makes things better and and progress usually helps us be better in life. And so admitting that technology is not always better is hard for me because technology makes us more efficient. But if we look at the way Jesus lived his life, we recognize he didn't always do the most efficient thing. I mean, sometimes actually you look at Jesus' habits, you're like, that's not efficient at all. Like Jesus Are you not intelligent? Are you not a good time manager? Are you a bad planner? Like, what's going on? Sometimes you look at Jesus' life and you're like, you need to be more efficient, Jesus. And I think to us, Jesus would say, actually, I just have a better way. And one of the ways that Jesus lived his life in a maybe less efficient but better way is what we call Sabbath. So I want to kind of spend some time today looking at how Sabbath can be a boundary that we can set up in our lives that can make our lives better. So what is Sabbath? Well, let's start by looking at the life of Jesus. You notice that when you look at Jesus's life, Jesus was busy, but he was never rushed. You remember that time, maybe you've read it, maybe not, when Jesus, this guy named Jairus comes to Jesus, and Jairus is a religious leader, and He says, hey, will you heal my daughter? He's got faith that Jesus can heal his daughter. And Jesus says, yeah. And Jesus starts going on the journey to his daughter. But on the journey, he encounters other people who need healing. And and he teaches and he's hanging out with some people. And he's not going to Jairus' daughter as quickly as everybody would like him to. And he's just kind of taking his time. Eventually, he gets to Jairus' daughter. And when he gets there, he's taken too long and she's died. And everybody's all mad at Jesus. What took you so long? And Jesus, recognizing that they had under-trusted, recognizing that they didn't fully understand his power, raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. We see a whole new level of power in Jesus in this moment. And then, 
Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. We're all thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? You got things to do. You got places to go, people to see. You've only got a couple years to change the world. Remember this? Remember, you're like bringing your kingdom to earth and you're just telling people not to tell anybody? What do you mean don't tell anybody? That's the whole point, isn't it? Like the whole point is to tell everybody that they need to believe in you so that they can be saved. That's your whole reason in being here. What do you mean don't tell anybody? Jesus is saying there'll be time for that. He's not rushed. He's not in a hurry. Jesus recognized that he had time to do everything that he needed to do. Remember the time when uh, the disciples are on a boat and there's a storm? Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping? Like if there's ever a time to rush, if there's ever emergency, Jesus, you're all about to die. But again, Jesus, recognizing his power, is not rushed. This is no big deal. Jesus is in the boat. Trust. And then remember what happened right after Jesus starts his ministry? He begins his ministry by being baptized by John the Baptist. He's baptized, and everybody's like, okay, here we go. Ready to start the ministry? Go get him, Jesus. What does he do? He goes out to the wilderness by himself and prays. What are you doing? Get to work. You're just slow. So before I say what I think Sabbath is when I look at Scripture, I want to talk about the things that it is not, some clarifying statements. Sabbath is no longer a law. It was. In the Old Testament, it was a law for the Jews. And so this may be the most important point that I make in this message today. But I think you can ignore Sabbath your entire life and still have a great relationship with God. Sabbath is not going to make him love you more. You're not going to do enough Sabbath to like somehow achieve a greater status of love with God. That's not going to happen. But it is a gift that will help you. Sabbath is a gift to you, not a command of you, not a request from you. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What's Jesus saying? The Sabbath is a gift. It will make your life better. It'll make you better at life. This is good. This is pleasing. This is life giving. Don't do it because you have to do it. Do it because you get to do it. Because God told us it's better. And we look at the lives of those who do it and we recognize he was right. Sabbath is also not doing less. Sabbath rest actually gives us the strength and the energy to do more. Because most of us live our lives running on empty. And then we don't understand why we feel so weary all the time. I just don't have the energy to do what I need to do. It's because you're running on empty. When God gave the Jews the Sabbath law in the Old Testament, how did he say it? He's very specific. He said, work for six days, then rest. Six days you shall labor. 
you shall labor. Do you work six days, anybody? No. You don't understand. We have five-day work week. I'm guessing there are some farmers in the room who work six days a week. But for me, this means five days of work with church stuff. And then one day of work at home or personal work or chores or whatever it is. And then one day of Sabbath, six to one. It's a very specific ratio. And because we do that because his recommendation that is, is that on the seventh day, you shall rest. Sabbath just means seventh, seventh day. And I'm not legalistic about this. I'm not, I'm not saying you got to do this so that, or otherwise you're sinning or anything like that. It's pretty clear. Six days of work and one day of rest is better. And then there are seasons of my life where I start thinking, well, it's just a busy time and I'm overwhelmed and I got all these things to do. I don't have time to rest right now. But then Jesus, or then God goes on and he's more specific and he says, even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. In other words, even in your busiest season, you have to rest. Actually, in your busiest season, it's most important because you need that rest to give you the energy, to give you what you need to attack what is so important in that time. Rest, then, becomes a reward for six days of work. And then also, the life-giving, the energy-giving supply that we have for the next six days of work. What else Sabbath is not? It is not an escape. I believe escapism is one of the biggest problems that we see in our world today. There are more and more ways that we have learned to escape our problems, to shove our problems down, to forget that they're there, and just move on and pretend. It's the reason why we have so many different addictions that are plaguing our society. Because we've realized that we can use these things to escape, and so when you are escaping something, you just have to keep escaping. You have to go back to whatever it is to just keep escaping whatever it is. You're using something for a purpose it was not intended for because and as long as that, whatever you're escaping, whatever, our lives are hard. So as long as life is still hard, you just got to keep going back to it because it's helping you escape. What are some things that we use for escaping? Well, one is entertainment. Many of us do this every night. Netflix is my escape, right? My son Titus Whenever he gets disciplined, he hates confrontation. He hates sadness of any kind. He'll just laugh through his tears because he doesn't like sadness. And so Titus, if he ever gets in trouble, I give him a spanking and immediately he's crying. What does he say? He says, I want to go watch my iPad. Can I go watch, can I go watch cartoons? Can I go see Blippi? I want to see Blippi. Do you know what Blippi is? Good, because it's terrible. Glad you do Glad you do not have children young enough to have to be tortured by this. He's the modern Pee Wee Herman. Anyway, can I watch the iPad? I want to escape this situation. I don't want to feel this sadness anymore. I just want my mind to disappear in entertainment. What about drugs? Legal or illegal, doesn't matter. If you are using it as an escape, then you are misusing it. Because you are not supposed to escape your problems. We are called to face our problems. To fight the battles that God has called us to fight. What about alcohol? There's nothing wrong with alcohol. Jesus drank it, so. But there is definitely something wrong with getting drunk. 
there's definitely something wrong with using alcohol to escape instead of facing what God has called us to face. What about anger? We're tempted to focus on what's wrong with other people rather than thinking about what we need to change, about the tasks that we've been called to accomplish. We're rather to think about... we'd rather think about what's wrong in politics or that person who at work who isn't getting their job done or my boss who won't do this or whatever it is, fill in the blank. It's easier to lash out and to be angry at what other people are doing because then I can escape what's wrong with me and what needs to be addressed in my life. What about social media? If I can escape my world by entering into the fake world that everybody else is putting on their timelines. I can ignore my problems and just look at the beauty and look at the fun or look at what they're complaining about or who are they angry at. uh, at. And we escape. What actually ends up happening is all those problems we're escaping, they're just burdens that we just keep adding to our shoulders. So then we just need more and more of the substance or more and more of the escape because the burden just keeps getting heavier and heavier because I never actually dealt with them. I never actually did anything with them. I just kept adding them, adding more. and never actually dealt with anything I needed to deal with. Watch this. I'm back with Grant and Sarah. Today we're going to talk specifically about the dangers of teens having phones and And well, I guess even younger, some people have phones now. And what are the dangers of that? One study I read said that 60% of teenagers can be clinically diagnosed with cell phone addiction. And that's a big problem. So I think the question that I'm asking myself is why would we as parents allow our children? There's so many negatives. Why would we allow them to have phones at such an early age? I think part of it is our parents or the generation right before us didn't experience smartphone use like we have. I mean, it's like in the fifties with the rise of junk food, we didn't have boundaries set up there. We didn't realize what this was going to do to our society. Now we've actually realized, okay, shouldn't eat McDonald's for every meal. That's a bad thing. But in the fifties, when junk food entered the scene and this mass produced food thing was so unhealthy, but nobody realized it, everybody's just going down that road blindly. Yeah. And so at some point, somebody has got to pull the reins and say, hold on. Maybe there's some good there to having a drive through at McDonald's, but there's some negative too. Let's set up some boundaries. I think we're in that place with phones. Phones are 15, smartphones are 15 years old-ish. We're realizing, okay, there's some good things, but we need to build some boundaries. I think a big reason, it's out of a book I'm reading uh, called Parenting, uh, Parenting Generation Screen. The guy mentioned there's usually two primary reasons why parents get their teens phones. Number one, they think, well, they are smarter than me. They know how to use them. So they're fine. And then number two is probably the bigger one. It's going to keep them safe because I can get a hold of them at any point um, as, as their parent. And so I think those are two main reasons why parents think I'm going to get my teen or preteen. Uh, there's, there's studies that say 50, 52% of 10 year olds have, have smartphones. Wow. And then with every age, it just, the number goes up. So, and, and now, uh, I have it written here, uh, 13 to 17 year olds, 89% of 13 to 17 year olds have smartphones, 89%. And so, 
And and to a family where there's good boundaries in place and there's right. good education in place and accountability in place, you'd say, okay, I, I can see that. So they're they're focused on so fear is leading them to try to protect them physically. But the question is, are we protecting them emotionally? Are we protecting them mentally? Right. Yeah, I mean I I I often will tell people like we were living in the safest time ever to raise a kid in the United States. I'm not sure about the world, but this is the safest time to raise a kid. And so that fear of, I need by to far, have, by far, like, yeah. And so, but we still have the tendency of being fearful, partly because of what social media is doing. You see all these negative things happening because that's what you're, that's what you like to watch. And it's feeding that same loop again. And you're fearful. So you give your kid a phone to keep them physically safe, mm-hmm. even though it really won't, they're already fairly safe. But because of that, you're jeopardizing their mental health. Yes because of what these phones are doing mentally to them. Yeah, you hear people say, when I was a kid, we didn't lock our doors. When I was a kid, you didn't have to worry about this kind of thing. You're, then you look at the crime rates, you realize, actually, you're much more safe now. Yep. News media, 24-7 news media, makes you think that crime is much more common than it is. But the reality is, crime rates are quite drastically lower than they were when yep. before we were born. Yeah. Yeah. What other dangers are there specifically for teens on phones? It's easier for me to tell a story because I have seen it. There's a there's a new life family who just recently came to me and uh, made me aware of this. And they said um, that their their teenage daughter had had a phone for a while. And when they when they gave her the phone, they said the only rule is no social media. You no social media, and we're good. And so um, everything was fine for a while. And then they slowly started to see their teenage daughter retreat, spend a lot more time in her, in her room. Um, when they would ask questions, uh, I don't know, was the main answer. Uh, they stopped communicating with the parent. And so uh, there came a day just recently where the family said, that's it. We're sitting down. We're having a meeting. Give me your phone. Uh, and that's not an invasion of privacy. Some parents think that. Um that's your kid. You're, you cannot invade their, they have no privacy. Yes, exactly. And so they took the phone, realized that she had downloaded Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, had made all these accounts. Um, and because of that, because uh, this child knew breaking the rules, uh, the child was retreating and, and just spending so much more time on the cell phone. And so um, they had decided we're going to go back. We're going to take this back. You are not getting a cell phone. Uh, you broke the one rule we had. Uh, and a couple days later, they saw a complete change. It was, she was back to normal, mm-hmm. back to, uh, helping her dad, uh, helping her mom, having normal conversations. And, and so I think a big danger is isolation. So what does this teenager do when, the burden is just getting heavier and heavier and, and I'm, I've been escaping and I've, I'm hiding and I, they end up isolating. It just causes division. Rather than dealing with reality, we hide. The last thing that I would say that uh, the uh, Sabbath is not is just slowing down. So often in our Sabbath resting habits, We just kind of do the same things that we usually do. We just do them slower. And so I would like to take some time and talk about some things that aren't necessarily restful for me. When when I'm 
trying to rest, often when I'm tempted to just do the other things I normally do slower, I have to recognize, no, I need some different habits. I need to replace some habits. For example, if I'm watching a Jayhawks game and calling it rest, I'm lying to myself because the game gets my heart rate up. We're down by 15 points at halftime in the national championship. Nobody's doing any resting here. I'm yelling at the refs. I'm complaining about missed shots. They can't make a free throw. What is wrong with these people? I mean, because I could do so much better, obviously. Or what about if I'm watching the news and calling it rest? The whole time I'm getting angry. I'm getting frustrated. Why, why are those people on the other side so terrible? I saw this a couple months ago. And I realized, you know what they're doing? They're just dividing us up. They're just separating us so that we have somebody to be angry at so that we'll keep tuning in because we're so angry at the other side. Whatever way they can divide us, that helps us get more angry, which makes us then tune in more often. I don't know about you. This is not restful for me. Even the commercials. I'm watching TV and a commercial comes on and there's at least a small part of me that has to resist that new thing that they're advertising to me. What? There's another subscription service? Ooh, that show looks good. Should I resist it? Should I? Not restful. This Taco Bell commercial comes on. I'm trying to eat better. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be strong. I need more fake Mexican food in my life. Darcy, I'm going to Taco Bell. I can't resist. This is not rest. What about chick flicks? Ladies, you're watching. You're emotionally involved very quickly. And you're thinking, how dare Brad come home late from work? You got to leave him. Oh, never mind. He asked for forgiveness. He's the best. Emotional roller coaster, up and down, up and down. Resting isn't just slowing down and doing what we normally do slower. That may be part of it. Maybe slowing down is part of it. But Sabbath rest is much more than that. So let's talk about what Sabbath is. And if this is something that you're considering in your life, maybe you need to try this uh, habit that Jesus gives us in your life. Maybe you'd consider writing a few of these down. What is Sabbath? I'd say number one, Sabbath is trust. That may sound weird. That's not an action necessarily, Mike. I'm not sure. This is kind of the foundation. We need trust in God to allow us to ever begin to Sabbath. Because there are a lot of things in our lives to worry about. Right? I mean, family, our jobs, our reputations, what I look like, politics. There's a lot to worry about. So what do we do? Well, we... We take all the worries. And in a moment of faith, I was at church and they sang that song about how good God is. And they sang that song about how powerful God is. And in a moment of faith, you think, okay, God, I bet you can handle this one. Take it, God. It's all yours. Take it. Do something. Oh, you know what? I bet, he, I bet he can handle this one too. I'll keep these, but you, I bet you could.
God, you're not doing anything with it. I'm taking it back. My timeline's better. I've got this. I can handle this. I'm good. I can carry this burden. You ever told a lie? And you just had to tell another lie to cover it up? You had to tell another lie to cover it up and you just kept adding burdens over and over? That's what we do in our lives. I can do it. I can carry it. I know I've got a lot of worries, but I'm strong. To those of us who've experienced God's power, and who have recognized his unconditional love, what we've learned is that our equation is all off. That the truth is more like this. The truth, and much more than this, is that God can handle our worries times anything. That when our, our God is too small to handle our worries, then we don't know God. So what do we do? Well, he's got this. This is nothing. This is easy. If I, if I got a big God, then this is nothing. My worries are nothing. We trust. And God doesn't actually just tell us that we can take our worries and give them to him. He actually says, you can actually just give me all of it. I'll take it all. Like all the good, the bad, your plans, whatever else is going on in the world. It's not just your, your worries. I'll take everything. Give me your life because I can handle it. I made you. I've got the whole thing under control. And we give it to God. Peter says, so humble yourself under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, not on your timeline, He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And we can trust. Thank you, God. We don't just take our worries and give some of them to God and you can handle this. Sabbath reminds us to give our lives to God. And when our worry is gone, when we begin to trust in God, then we can truly start to rest. And this part is actually a action or maybe a lack of action. I don't know. Resting is actually like, like put it on the calendar, put it on the schedule. This is where the six to one ratio comes in. The seventh, one seventh should be actual rest. Because we we got these burdens and we've, we've been able to remove the burdens. We've been able to put our trust in God. We recognize his unconditional love and the burden is gone. Now I can actually rest. So do it. Because did you know that 26% of people in Gillette say they regularly feel weary. Sabbath reminds us that we can't do everything. You can't handle it all. How many of us end our week and you're like, wow, I didn't get anything done I needed to get done. I had a giant list. I checked one off and the giant list is still there. I just can't do it all. This happens to me all the time. And I think Sabbath, one thing that it does is by removing one of the days, you say, if I can't do it all in seven days, then why not just try in seven, six days? And spend some time refueling. And trust God with what I can't get done. Give it to God. Ask him to do 
what only he can do, carry more than what you can carry, and rest in the fact that he is in control. The third thing that I think Sabbath is, is is communion. Remember that we eat communion for two reasons. When Jesus gave communion to his disciples, he gathers everyone around a table. We do this, we call it communion, but this is a symbol. This is a symbolic act to remember what actually Jesus did with communion. And what did he do? He gathered his closest friends, his disciples around a table, and they ate together. He taught them at the table. They discussed life together around the table. That's what Sabbath is. So, that's what communion is. So, when we Sabbath, we take time out for table. We make table time a focus when we Sabbath. And the second thing that communion actually accomplishes, but also is a big part of the way we Sabbath, is to remember. And what remembering what Jesus has done in our past, what Jesus has done to save us from our sins, remembering how he has provided for us, how he created all things, this remembrance calls us to worship. Worship is a key part of Sabbath. Do you spend any time thanking God, worshiping him when you rest? We're going to actually together take communion today. And as we do, my invitation to you is say a prayer. Ask God how he can add more rest to your life. And in that, worship him for his incredible faithfulness, for his greatness that can carry all of our worries and more. And we remember how he has been faithful in the past. This is what we do in communion. They're going to sing another song, and while they do, you can come to any one of these five stations down front or two in the balcony. The ones on the far outsides down here have gluten-free options, so if you have a gluten allergy, you can make your way to the outsides. When Jesus sat down and gave them bread, said, this represents my body, and gave them wine and said, this represents my blood, he's saying, I'm going to die for you. God died so that you could experience a whole new level of rest. A level of rest that says, even though this world has pain, and even though things are not going right in my life, I have a greater hope that is beyond this world. His death on the cross accomplished for you an eternal home. And we can rest in the fact that not only does he hold this life in his hands, but the next. He holds the keys to your eternal destiny. And you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a child of God because his grace is sufficient. And no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter what your background is, no matter what you did last night, his grace is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning and his death on the cross made them available to you. Rest in that today. God, I thank you for your act of grace in coming to this world to show us a better way. God, I pray that with all of our lives, we would surrender to you and seek after you. God, help us to see 
your instructions for your life, your advice for our life, not as a burden, a heavy burden to carry, but as a lightening of the load. As we surrender to you, God, we pray that you will reveal to us the better way. And as we fellowship here at the table, and as we worship you, thank you for being in our midst. I pray that you will reveal yourself to people. Show them your love. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.